And welcome to another edition of the Pursuit Friends Network podcast. I'm planner and lead pastor Brian Donahue. And we're going to jump back into part two of an important discussion that Chris and I had with Bob Robinson. Bob is the executive director of Reintegrate, which is the Institute to Reintegrate Faith, Life, and Vocations. He is a campus minister with CCO, which is the Coalition of Christian Outreach. He's an author and all-around good guy and neighbor of mine. And we're excited to jump back into this conversation as we talk about what true discipleship is. Let's jump back in, shall we? Can, can you walk us through, because um, you've shared recently in the past year with me, and I think Kristen too, a, a little bit of your model and how you view discipleship. And you've got a neat little graph too that you, I still have it. And right now we're studying the book of John and I've got Elmer Towns uh, commentary and that's my bookmark. And so I see it ever, almost every day and look, look right. over it. Um, and uh, it's also fun just to think about Bob too every day. Um, oh, it's, I'm sorry it's great about that. fun, but, <laughs> but uh, um, I can think of, there's gotta be other things you can think about. Much there, there are, but you know, I, you're anyways, we, uh, walk us through what discipleship means to you. Cause it's a word we throw around a lot in church and I think it means different things to different people. Um, but it's a really important term. It's a really yeah. important thing to understand. Yeah. So what does true discipleship look like to you? How, how might you describe that? Well, I don't think it's how we've def- defined it. And it's not, um, and what we, how we've defined it isn't bad. That's the thing, but it isn't discipleship. So we think discipleship is my taking time to be one-on-one with someone and to pour my life into them so that they can become a disciple. Who are they becoming a disciple of if I'm pouring my life into them? <laughs> this is, I'm making a disciple of Bob. That's yeah. who wants to be a disciple of Bob. Nobody <laughs> wants to be a disciple. Of Bob. I mean, every now and then I think about it. I think it might be fun. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> you, know, you know, Paul, you know, Paul, the apostle Paul, you know, he said, you know, emulate me, but right. who's he still pointing to? who are you truly a disciple of? You're supposed to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so, so what does it mean to be a disciple? You know, Jesus in this great commission says, make disciples, go and make disciples, teaching and baptizing them and every, and teach them everything. I've, 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 what does it mean to make disciples? We in the evangelical world believe that great commission is does not say make disciples it says make converts to christianity we think that that is an evangelistic text primarily it isn't it is that but it isn't just that (laughs) (laughs) it is to make disciples to make dedicated followers of jesus christ people who know him deeply and and so and that's why we we baptize them, and that's why we teach them. Uh, so, the only command, in, the only commandment uh, in the Great Commission is go and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them. Make disciples is the only verb in the entire t- text. Mm. Going, baptizing, and teaching are all participles. And so, mm. what the heck is going on? 
go and make disciples. So we think we have to go and make disciples. Therefore, the only real making disciples is if we go geographically somewhere else and <laughs> convert somebody. That's not what the text says. As you go, as you go, it, you, you make disciples. And how do you do it? You make sure that you're baptizing them and you're teaching them. You cannot make a disciple without teaching them. Mm. So we, you know, our low church evangelicalism that I'm from and, and the friends yep. ministry yep. is, we don't have a high view of catechism. You know, mm -hmm. we want, right. we like, we'll do a small group Bible study and that's all we really need to do. And, <laughs> and the, the, the early church, I tell you what, you did not get baptized unless you had catechism for a mm -hmm. year or two. Right, right. <laughs> Yeah. We need to let you know who this Jesus is, and you need to understand this, and you need to follow this man. This is what it's all about. Mm. So discipleship means to follow Jesus. What is a disciple? Just a disciple, the basic meaning of it is learner. But we look at the disciples in the first century. What did they do? They walked with him everywhere he went. They yeah. watched him in everything he did they emulated him in everything they did he would mm -hmm. send them out to do ministry and then to come back and report okay how to go what's you know what did you learn <laughs> and and so discipleship is not just one aspect of life yeah. it is whole life every aspect of your life are you following him in every aspect of your life and so there's this new phrase that i love that's kind of being being raised up in the last decade or so and it's this whole life discipleship what does it mean if you're a disciple of jesus in every aspect of life and we shouldn't even have to say whole life discipleship because discipleship by its very definition is whole life <laughs> but we've kind of said discipleship is when you do your bible study with somebody or when you have a prayer meeting you're being a disciple Right. A disciple is someone who cares about making other disciples, cares about uh, telling people about the gospel that Jesus is the Lord. They, they care about getting together with others in church and encouraging one another. Right. Right. They care about going to work and being a manifestation of the kingdom of God at their work and in their neighborhood. Mm. They look. They, they, they care about justice in the world and wanting things right. to be right because that's the, what the kingdom of God's about all these many, many aspects of what it means to be a, a kingdom disciple, all of life. So it becomes very nitty gritty. I mean, and if you start peeling away the onion, you start realizing how I shop, how do I shop? You know, how do I, how do I, uh, when do I go to bed? Do I get enough rest? Is sleeping is discipleship. <laughs> Every little, you know, it just becomes, you know, okay, so my body is important to God. Yeah. My relationships with people are certainly important, but am I getting my fingers dirty in gardening? It's gardening is important. Mm -hmm. How I watch TV and how I, I entertain myself. Yeah. That's important because a disciple of Jesus enjoys life, enjoys yeah. these things, but enjoys them the way Jesus would like to me and enjoy them. So it becomes very 
comprehensive when you're a true disciple of Jesus. So this is what I do with college students is trying to help them see that just because you're in my fellowship group um, at, at uh, the college isn't enough. It's also, are you working hard in your academics so that you're getting good grades, so that you're actually learning? And they're like, but I have to take these really stupid class that have nothing to do with my, my job. I'm like, <laughs> why do you suppose you need to learn about history or sociology or these kinds of things? Is it important in any way? I helped them start thinking about academic faithfulness in these areas that God actually wants you to grow in these areas because they matter. Right. How do I, how do I play my video games? You know, basically video games and social media. How do you engage in social media? What does it mean to be a, a disciple of Jesus as you scroll through your TikTok? Yeah. That is an important question for a young person to ask mm. and answer. Right. So it becomes all this is discipleship. Oh, that's so good. And, and you kind of jumped into talking to college students. Can you, can you describe briefly kind of what you do at, at, Stark's, at, at Kent's? Stark and Stark State College. Yep. Yeah. So at Kent State Stark, there's, there's a, a group of college students that I help lead, but I give them the opportunity to lead mostly. And so my job is to create leaders and to encourage them and appoint them in the right way is to be the Christian presence on a campus of 4,000 students. Mm. How do you, you know, what do we do? to shake people's perceptions up of who Jesus is. And so, and, and to, and to really love people and to engage with them. And so I help the leaders figure that stuff out. So what is, what are some outreach ideas we can do? Uh, What are some ways we can serve the community Mm. of Kent state Stark? Uh, What are we going to do to, uh, to uh, actually seek to bless the institution at which we go to school because it's important that Kent State Stark flourishes and it's important that Kent State Stark flourishes for the sake of of the Canton area. We want Canton to flourish. And it's the same thing at Stark State College. At Stark State, it's a it's a more of a technical school. Mm -hmm. Uh, Students come flying in and out before the yeah <laughs> they, they might even that was they, my experience they yes. might stop for a coffee in the in the cafeteria on right. the way in but they won't stay afterwards and so i i tried to do campus ministry there for years and you know i'd get i'm whopping three people to come to something so <laughs> what ended up happening is is i started connecting with folks that were on faculty there uh-huh. and so what I've been doing then, and, and it's grown exponentially over the years, I've been doing a faculty and staff devotional time every other week on a Friday, and all these faculty and staff come together, and we talk about, A, what does it mean that you're a faculty or a staff person at, at, at Stark State? What is God wanting you to do in your job? Why is that important? <laughs> Reintegrate. And <laughs> and then and then let's talk about the stories that you're dealing with. Tell me about, you know, talk to each other about uh, the students that are really having hard times. And how can we pray for them? And, and what can we do to help the institution of Stark State to flourish? 
And so, you know, I started out with some math professors and they re because they're Christians, they completely reinvented the math curriculum at mm. Stark state in order to create a better inroad to get their math, their, their rudimentary math done because people coming into Stark state, a vast majority of them were coming in with like fifth and sixth grade level math. Mm. And they can't get into their degree programs because they can't do well in math. Right. And right. so it's like, okay, sign you up for a 15 week semester in rudimentary math. And they're failing by the fourth week. You know, the professor would look out and say, okay, I can, I can count five people that will fail in a week. I could count another five people mm. that will, that will stay with me all the way through and all the rest. I have to try to struggle to keep them the, to, to stay afloat. And so they created a whole new curriculum that was more modular wow. that allowed them to create uh, opportunities for smaller successes to get them to where they needed to go. And it was like, it was an online thing before COVID. Okay. Yeah. But it was not, nobody had computers, you know, most Stark state students don't have computers. Hmm. So they talked to the school into investing in computer labs. And so these computer labs were set up. And so the students were doing the, the online learning modular two weeks at a time in these computer labs with tutors floating around. And they would have, um, you know, the silo cups, the blue silo cups that you get when you have a, 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 a get together and everybody gets their drinks in those, right? Sure, sure, yeah. So they cut little notches out of the top of the silo cups. And so when a student gets stuck, the student would take the top of that silo cup and turn it upside down on top of their monitor, and it would act like a, a, a light. Bing bong, bing bong, bing bong, I need help. <laughs> <laughs> and so the tutor would come immediately over and help them get through that problem and learn that problem. And so these students, they started seeing more wow. and more success. And, more. and the only reason that happened is because I was meeting every week in prayer with these two leads mm. of the math department mm. what can we do so that students can can flourish so that they can create opportunities for themselves yeah so that's this is what why does this matter to jesus is the question you know right. jesus really cares about people and their souls and them going to heaven mm -hmm. that's what jesus really cares about and i would say yes yes he really cares about that. But what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is God being in charge of this place so that everybody experiences the blessings of God, that everybody flourishes, experiences what the mm. Hebrews called shalom. That, oh, we have this universal flourishing. I care about yeah. what you need and you care about what I need. And if God's in charge, and everybody gets a chance to flourish. And so it's kingdom work, what my these math professors right. are doing in helping these students to flourish. They have no opportunity to grow into another life besides their poverty-stricken life that they're trying to get themselves out of, and they can't get past rudimentary math to do so. So what does a Christian do? What does a Christian do about that? I'll pray for you. 
and here's right, a track right. about Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> no, I hope that's, you know, it's, you know, opportunities to pray for students as you work right. with them and in yeah. in opportunities to point them to the person of Jesus. That's, uh, you know, if you've given them a job, but they, their souls are, are forever damned, that's, that's not a good thing either. Right. But it, how can they know that Jesus is good if their lives are struggling to the point that they have no hope in this life? Jesus cares about bringing the kingdom here, here on earth as it is yeah. in heaven, not just waiting for heaven to come. Yeah. We've got to get, we've got to get, I'll just say something real quick, Chris, and let you jump in is we've, one thing that's been on my heart and us as a church too is, it's kind of along the lines of what you're saying, Bob, is that the kingdom of God really is here now. And we get the opportunity and the great pleasure and the challenge of being a part of that and showing other people what it is to be a part of the kingdom of God. And, um, you know, how we serve our neighbors and our coworkers and everyone around us is a part of that. It's showing people the kingdom of God and how the world can operate and how it will operate ultimately. But mm -hmm. one of the problems with um, evangelicalism is, I, I think, is this whole notion of we're so fixated on end time stuff, on Jesus swooping down and taking us out of this place where we ought to be more fixed. And that's okay to look forward to eternity and to the new heaven and new earth, all that stuff. But like, we, gosh golly, we can affect the world positively right now today if we'll only open our eyes and have a heart and love for people like Christ really commanded us to. Um, so we're pretty passionate about that. Well, I mean, Jesus came and, and he told us what the gospel was. You know, he, he went from town to town, village to village, and they said, will you stay here? And he goes, no, I've got to go to the next village because I have to go proclaim the gospel, the good news of the kingdom there also, because that's mm. why God sent me. People are like, okay, what's the gospel? The gospel is the kingdom of God. The gospel is that Jesus Christ is the Lord of the world. He is, yeah. he is taking over the place. <laughs> uh, and, and away from the darkness, the, 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 the God of this world has been the devil. And the, you know, it's pretty shocking to believe this, but the Bible actually teaches that the devil is the God of this world because of the fallenness of this world. Mm -hmm. Think about the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, right? The devil's actually offering him, I'll give you this and I'll give you that. Was he kidding? No, he wasn't mm -hmm. kidding. <laughs> if you decide not to go through your plan, Jesus, I can give you all of this. Yeah. You know, it, it wouldn't have been a temptation if it wasn't real. No. You it's know, like, whoa. Hey. That, I mean, that's pretty shocking. It's, you yeah. know, we, yeah. And so when Jesus comes and he says, I'm coming and I'm proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. In other words, this kingdom of darkness you've experienced, it's now being overtaken. The, the rightful king has returned. It's the return of the king, like Lord of the Rings. Yeah. The king has returned, and he's taking back over his kingdom. And it has started. When he dies and he resurrects, we were talking about the Great Commission earlier. What does, how does Jesus introduce the, the Great Commission? 
He says, all authority has been yes. given to me. Wait, what, when? When did he get all? Because he, he was talking about the kingdom of God is coming all during his preaching ministry. Mm -hmm. And then he dies and he resurrects and he says, and all, all authority has been given to me. My belief is that with his death and resurrection, he's crowned the king of the world. Mm. And the kingdom has begun. Mm. And the kingdom is advancing. And what he does then, he's, he's inviting people in to this kingdom life. And he says, so the gospel isn't trust that Jesus died for your sins so you can go to heaven someday. The gospel is... Right. I have initiated the kingdom. Will you join in this kingdom thing to change the world? Mm. And of course, the world won't change completely by our actions. Jesus will return in what we call as the consummation of the kingdom. Mm. You know, the kingdom will come to its fruition when he returns. But that doesn't mean that the kingdom isn't changing lives and isn't yeah, changing yeah. the world around us and, and that when we see injustice we should say that's not the way the king would want it to be let's make a change there <laughs> you know this like is that. what it means to be kingdom people and so our joy and our privilege is to actually participate in the mission of god in the world and the mission is is you know it can be articulated in number of ways but the best way is kingdom yeah and as Americans, we don't get that. <laughs> I, I I don't need no king. I'm American. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> Come on now. I'd say I'd say preach it, brother. Preach it, brother. But but what is it, you know like a king? In order for somebody to be a king, he's got to have people who will be his his uh, the people of his kingdom, right? But he also has to have a land. That yeah. he's a king over. <laughs> and so we oftentimes think, oh, Jesus is a the king. Therefore, if I'm personally yielded to his mm -hmm. lordship in my life, that's all it really matters. No, that's important. But Jesus is also saying, all this around you, it's not the way it's supposed to be. And I'm inviting you to make a change for that. And so when people see that you are actually caring about making the world a better place, you are preaching the gospel because you're telling them Jesus cares about the world changing for a better place. Don't right. you want to become a part of this kingdom movement? Mm. I believe, especially with the young people I work with, that that's the gospel that resonates with them. Yes. Not only because it resonates with them because they want to make a difference in the world, but because it's the Bible's definition of the gospel. Mm. They yeah. don't want to hear the gospel of, if you died tonight, yeah. would you see Jesus, Jesus and be happy? Would he let you into his, into his, into his heaven? Right. Yeah. They're like, I ain't planning on dying tonight, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm look at look at me. I'm 20 years old. Okay, yeah. I'm not planning on dying. Tonight. And I'm like, so the the gospel is: Would you do you want to be on the side of making a change in the world because mm. Jesus cares to make the world the way it's supposed to be? 
are you do you want to join in this or yeah, do you want to yeah. or do you want to be a part of the problem instead of part of the solution that's your choice that's your choice you are part of the problem unless you're part of the solution and at the same time we're, we're usually part of the problem and part of the solution at the same time because our sinfulness is constantly <laughs> screwing us up but right. at least we can be part of participation in the in god's great mission to restore his world yeah yeah I, bob you actually kind of jumped to where i wanted to go which was just uh we my husband and i attended a, a seminar on gen z at at the church planning conference in orlando and one of the things they talked about is this generation being one of the most cause-driven generations in a long time um but the unfortunate part is they don't see the church as a player, <laughs> as a positive force in that. And, the, you know, we're talking about the power of inviting people into um, what you're just talking about, into yeah. being a part of the solution and setting up that vision that we can go together, you know. Um, yeah. So I've just, I, I just wanted you to talk about that some more. And I, I'm curious to know how, when you present that, how does that resonate with um, the young adults that you're working with? Every year with my student leaders, I'm like, our job is to shake people's idea up of what Jesus is all about, because they're present, they have the preconceptions. Why would I want to be a Christian? Because that just makes me a worse person. <laughs> Nobody wants to become a worse person. Right. <laughs> and Not so usually. Like, no, right. <laughs> and so if, if, if their preconception is becoming a Christian makes me a worse person, it makes me judgmental. It makes yes. me critical. It makes me not care about the things of this world. It only makes me care about getting people into heaven. Why would I want to be a part of that? And so it's like, well, guess what? Your preconceptions about Jesus are wrong and it's not just your fault. <laughs> yeah. And we own up to the fact that we, our messaging has been really bad. <laughs> And so let's, let me tell you about, you know, who Jesus really is. Uh, Kent State Stark every year, or they haven't for the last couple of years, but this year, finally, they're going to do it. They, they have a celebration of Earth Day. Now, Earth Day is, you know, most evangelicals would be like, Earth Day, oh my gosh, how pagan can you get, right? <laughs> You're celebrating the Earth. Ugh. You mean the thing we're called to rule and take right. care of? No, oh, I, I got confused. <laughs> this is the thing that God will just destroy because. Oh, that's matter. right. That's right. That's right. Don't take and, away my fossil fuels. Yes, <laughs> and my fossil fuels. That's right. Our job is to have dominion over this place, and we can we can take advantage of it all we want. Right. That's Burn it up ahead of time. Our, right. Job. Yeah. Because it's just, it's all going to be an ash anyways. And so, and so what we do is we're like, okay, they're inviting student groups to participate in an Earth Day celebration where they set up stations outdoors and they, they bring in like the zoo and, and all these other things. And, and we do like Earth Day crafts, like we're going to have uh, clay and they're going to press like flowers and and stuff into them and make little fossils in clay of yeah. impressings of these things that's our that's our craft they'll be doing little kids so parents bring their little kids through this thing for three hours on on a the sunday before earth day and so why would we do that we hand out a printout that i've made 
of all these verses about how God loves his creation and that his creation is magnificent and beautiful and it shows his glory and how much he loves it just as much as he loves his non the, the human creation he loves the non-human creation mm. and there's plenty of bible about that and so i hand out this this beautiful you know a green and yellow and, and and with a butterfly floating on one side and all these verses just just a montage of like six or seven passages little, little snippets and we hand that out along with our, and we said, would you like one of these? It's, it's, it's what the Bible says about God's love for creation. And most people said, oh, sure. And they take it. We're not forcing them, forcing it on them. But it's the school recognizes that this Christian group cares about the same things they care about. And they go, wait a minute, wait a minute. Aren't you Christians the ones who deny climate change? Aren't you the right, ones who... Right who, you know, hate everything about uh, uh, all that stuff. And they're like, well, no, God actually loves his creation. And, yeah. and so do we. And so we shake, we shake up the, the preconceptions of, you know, we're, we're doing it, you know, the biology club is in the next station over, you know, and, <laughs> and, so, we, and so it's really cool. And then the dean of the school comes up to us and says, we really appreciate all that you do for the school. And we've, we've won, we've won the uh, top student group twice in the last wow. 10 years. Oh, I didn't know that. We are so involved and we're so much involved in not only serving the student body, but also serving the institution. That's a, that's a beautiful example, Bob, of what you're doing and, and really what, how God is using what he's placed inside of you and how you're discipling these students and letting them do the work, letting them be a part of that. Uh, and what I hear you saying is that through, through all of this, you personally care a lot about raising other people up and letting these students do that stuff. You certainly train them. You certainly listen to them, share your knowledge and, and of the word and all that stuff. But, um, uh, I'm, I just feel inspired by, by hearing these stories because we just don't focus enough on caring about the world around us and the success of that, the success of local businesses and people's jobs and stuff like that. Um, so I'm, I, man, Kristen, we got some stuff we can do. And for, for pastors who might be listening, it's not like we're saying, the church doesn't matter. It's right. that the church yeah. is so precious yeah. and so important. So we're not only raising uh, young adults to be leaders in their, their place of work, but also to be leaders in their churches. Uh, every single one of my people in my ministry, I have taught every single semester, the church is where it's at. You need yeah. to be involved. Yeah. Yeah. You can't just be going. Yeah. Tell me how you're leading at the church. Yeah. Well, I'm just, you know, I'm 20 years old. They don't want me to lead. Come on. There's some place you can lead. Are you helping with the youth group? They'll be glad to help you with the youth right. group. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of the things I really love about the CCO is mm. that we have always, uh, we're like the first ministry, you know, we've been around for 50 years, but we've been doing this in partnership with churches mm. 
for 50 years. Just I'm, I'm one of the oddballs because my partnership is reintegrate, but most churches, most campus ministers in the CCO are on staffs of churches. That's where oh, you okay. two met me because I was on the staff of Jackson mm. Friends Church as a CCO yeah. person reaching Kent State Stark. That's how most of our ministries are. And so why is that? Why is why are they a partnership of churches? Because a major part of the goal is you need to be in a church. You need to part, yeah. be a part of church. And we want to train you how to be the future leaders of this church. Fantastic. Mm. Hey, Bob, I would love to hear. I think um, Joe and I have a lot of young adults in our ministry, in our circles, including our own kids. And that's been a real uh, pleasure and surprise that they want to hang out with a couple of old people. Uh, we don't call ourselves old. We uh, mid-century modern. That's what I like. That's what. I, <laughs> that's what well, I like to say. My guess is that your kids do call you old, but okay. Well, oh yeah, my kids. My kids call me old, okay. but the other kids. They. I don't know why they seem to like hanging out with us. Um, but I have been so encouraged by these young people and their faith and their passion for Jesus and. This younger generation gets so much bad press. Um, I would just love to hear from you. Uh, what are some of the things that you're seeing in these younger kids that is encouraging um, that some of us who maybe don't have those kids circling around them uh, would would be good for them to hear that? The gen you you mark remarked earlier that the, the generation in general they they want to make a change in the world, right? And so you know. If you're able, if I'm able to harness that as a Christian and say, guess what? Jesus wants to make a change in the world. It's, it's, it resonates with them quite a bit, just as, a, because I'm going to, I'm going to get on my high horse through my, my preaching box again, because what is the gospel? The gospel isn't to, the gospel is this, to make you human again make you fully the way you're supposed to be. And every human wants to flourish. Every human wants life to be the best it can be. And that is not bad. That is actually the way God wants it. Right? Right. And, so, and so for, for even a non-Christian, uh, even a total pagan wants life to be better. And they are, they're passionate about something because they think that's going to make life better. Right. Right. And so that's just true across the board. Just about anybody, they, 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 they want to see life being better. And we have somehow lost sight of the fact that Jesus says, I have come and come to the, so that they may have life and have it to the full. Yeah. That's what he wants for us. Right. Anyways. So with Christians, young Christians, it's like, if if they get this vision of Jesus that wants to transform the world and doesn't want to wait for us to just go to heaven to enjoy eternity forever with God, but actually wants to pray the Lord's prayer and say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And they, they, they hear those words and don't think thy kingdom come means someday the kingdom of the future will come and therefore everything will be right. made right. But instead, interpret that as God's will is perfectly done in heaven right now, and he wants that will to be done on earth just the same exact way right now. 
And so when I pray that prayer, the Lord's Prayer, I'm not only asking Jesus to make the kingdom come on earth, but he's also, I'm also implicated saying, oh, and by the way, use me in any way to make that happen too. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> and so if you can get that, you know, these, I think young people understand that. Young Christians understand that. And they're pretty miffed with mid-century what, what did you call yourself? Mid-century mid modern. Not uh, me. <laughs> <laughs> they're not miffed with me, bro. Don't yeah, say that. <laughs> but but, but, yes. but they're, they're miffed no. with many mid-century yes. modern pastors because they don't see that as the mission of young people. Yes. Right? And they're not wrong. <laughs> right? <laughs> they're, not wrong. <laughs> they're not wrong. They're not wrong. Yes. Uh, thank you. Thank you for that. And, and Bob, uh, also you, um, recently have been through, you've been a, through a series of health crisis in, uh, the last few years too. Do you want to talk about that and, uh, what that was like and how that affected your ministry, but also testify about the goodness of God through that and how he encouraged you and brought you through that and used that to ultimately, you know, fuel what, what you're doing right now. Sure. I mean, there's like, I mean, that's multi-layered and we can right, right. talk for another three hours. <laughs> I can't help that. it sometimes. I'm like, so yeah. here towards the end of the podcast, let me ask you about the most <laughs> important thing in your life that happened to you. It's what I do. It's what I do. <laughs> so yeah, uh, back in, you know, I had just started with CCO in 2005 and then uh, so I started in the summer of 2005, and then in February of 2006, I suffered uh, an upper, uh, an ascending aortic dissection, which means my my aorta began to tear, and the spiral tear from from the where the heart and the aorta meet all the way up towards the arch, and so I thought I was having a heart attack, and you know, Linda had already gone to bed and I woke her up and I said, I think I'm having a heart attack. This pain is in my back and I don't know where it's coming from. And it's, oh, mm -hmm. and she's mm -hmm. like, you probably just have gas. Let me go back to bed. Right. I'm like, no, it's really serious. She goes, all right. <laughs> she gets out of bed. And then I, and then I just pass out cold and I'm wow. basically, I'm basically dead. And she revives me with CPR. Wow. Beating on my beating on my chest and giving doing beat, uh, chest compressions yes. and and and, uh, and and CPR all breathing and all that, and then they get me to the hospital and they discover that they, after a while they're like you're not having a heart attack, Mr. Robinson. None of your blood enzymes show that, and I'm like, okay, what does what does that mean? What what's wrong with me then? And then they finally do an X-ray and they're like, oh, well, you have a football shaped aneurysm ready to burst in your aorta. They said that after this, they came into my room and the first thing they said was, does, does he really like these pants? <laughs> We're like, they're, they're just a pair of jeans. Why? They're like, because we don't want you to move at all from now on. And we're going to cut these jeans off of you. <laughs> oh my. Wow. I'm like, okay, why? <laughs> That's a that's a logical question, my friend. <laughs> They're like, oh, oh yeah. By the way, we yeah we we, we found this. You, oh, your aorta is like three layers of skin, 
and it Ooh. had torn through two of the layers and it was bulging like a football oh. in my chest and ready to burst. And we all know, you know, we, we've seen uh, John Ritter die of this. We saw John mm -hmm. Paxson die of this. Uh. This is, this is what, if that bursts, you're done. Mm. And so they rushed me into the emergency room. They froze my body down to 50 some degrees and, wow. uh, and then did this surgery to reconstruct my aorta and the surgeon was sure he wasn't going to get this guy off his operating table he's like these guys don't survive mm. he was like basically like this really morose kind of a downer guy talking to linda so do you how long you've been married oh, we've been married how do you have any kids yeah we have three kids you know they're five and six oh okay he's like what what is wrong with this guy <laughs> And then after the surgery and I survived, he comes in, he's kind of all bubbly. And Linda's like, what happened? I mean, you're like, he's like, oh, I thought I was talking to a widow. There's no way I'm going to get this guy off. Wow. Of my table. Unbelievable. <laughs> wow. He was, he was, he was depressed and sad because he yeah. was right. sure that this wasn't going to, and then I went into a four week coma because I had acute respiratory distress syndrome. My lungs shut down. And so they put me in an induced coma because I couldn't breathe. And I'd, I'd, I'd come out of the, come out and I would like start freaking out because I couldn't breathe. And, you know, I'm trying to heal wow. from open heart surgery and that wouldn't be good. Yeah. And so they're hoping my lungs would recuperate. So I was in a coma for four weeks. Linda's life was wake up, call the hospital. Did he survive last night? Okay, good. Oh, get the kids fed, get them on the bus come down to the hospital, visit a while, go back, go, come home, go to work for a while, come home, get the kids off the bus, get, get back in the car, come down to the hospital, visit me for a while, come back home, put the kids to bed, call the hospital. How's he doing? Go back to bed and do it all over mm -hmm. again the next day Yeah, for four weeks straight. And so what a, by the end of the amazing four, woman, what oh, an amazing woman. I, I, I tell, you know, I tell everybody and I'll tell you this. I had it easy. I'm asleep. She had it hard. Right, right. <laughs> right. If, if the roles were reversed, I would have been like, total mess, yeah, completely yeah. Un useless. But she's like, yeah. still raising kids and still going to work. <laughs> like, yeah. that's, Bob, that's so important because I think so often the one who's holding it together doesn't get the kind of support sometimes because we're all focused on the person whose life is is in peril, which we should be, but it's the person who's trying to hold all the pieces together. Oh, yeah. who's just, yeah, really struggling and, and, and serving. And, yeah. And having to be the, 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 the primary decision maker on my health. Yes. And, yeah. Right. And it's like, it's like, you know, after four weeks, she goes to the pulmonologist and says, so how long is this going to go on? He's been in this coma for four weeks. He goes, I don't know if or when this will end. Oh my gosh. Wow. And she's like, Oh, thanks for the encouraging words. <laughs> the next day I was sitting up and breathing on my own. The wow. Next day wow. After she asked that. And so after that, you know, I, I couldn't even walk for three weeks because I was horizontal for three, four weeks. And I couldn't even, I would get sick by getting back up uh, a vertical and, uh, and I couldn't, I, I, all my, all my, muscles that atrophied i had to relearn how to walk it was crazy this is wow. crazy and then 
and then I get out of the hospital and I start cardiac rehab, you know, I'm at the cardiac rehab center and, and I'm lifting these three pound weights. So, hey, ladies, check me out. <laughs> and, and it's like, but I'm, I'm rehabbing, I'm, I'm doing right. well. And then, so that's, you know, February, March. And then in April, my blood pressure skyrocketed again. I got uh, taken down to the hospital again and they did an x-ray right away. And they're like, mm. Mr. Robinson, you, you have a new aneurysm between the graft that they put in and the heart. <laughs> and so they life me up to the Cleveland Clinic and I threw up for like a whole day straight in total like misery pain. And Linda's frustrated. She's like, do something. And they're like, oh, pain is a uh, diagnostic tool. <laughs> Unless you have it. <laughs> that is so nothing I, but a pain in the butt. So I get, I get out of this, all right? And I get out of the, yeah. you know, I, I finally, you know, start feeling better. And they're like, you need to have an, that whole open heart surgery all over again to reconstruct it all over again but you would not survive a surgery because you just are still recuperating from the first surgery so you have to wait several months in order for us wow. to do it again. so this is april in september you'll be healed up and enough for another surgery so that's when we did the second surgery and so they went in they reconstructed the the uh, aorta again they replaced my aortic valve they replaced all the coronary arteries and so my i'm all uh synthetic all the way th up through the aortic arch you know made out of gore-tex you know i'm like i joke that i finally have a warm heart and so <laughs> you know i wake up from that surgery and linda's standing over the bed and, she, and the first thing she says is it's the same day bob because it had been four weeks later the last time I woke up. Oh, my. Wow. Wow. It's like I should not have survived that. Yeah. And going into that second surgery, I was not confident that I would survive. Mm -hmm. And I was going into that uh, operating room. And all I could see is my my kids and my right in, in my mind's eye. All I saw was like little Trey's face. Mm -hmm. and And I'm like. Mm. and later linda said to me her greatest fear in all that was how is she going to tell her kids that god is good when dad died when they were five and six years old yeah you know mm. it's just hard tough tough and people you know i did survive and people would come up to me and say oh God loves you and you are such a godly person and he has a great plan for your life, obviously, because he had you survive. And I'm like, A, you don't know me. You don't know how ungodly I am. B, uh, just that summer before, I think it was that summer before, I was uh, coaching Trey's baseball team and my, my assistant coach was Spencer's, one of the kids on my team, Spencer's uncle. And he was the, my assistant coach. Why? Because Spencer's dad had just died of a heart attack. Mm. And Spencer's dad was a, an elder in his church, godly guy. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and so when people would say that to me at the church, I'm like, you have a bad theology. Bad mm -hmm. things happen all the time. And it's not because one person's more godly than another. Yeah. It's because of the fall. Oh, so true. Yeah. 
And, and because I survived, yeah. it is a miracle. And I give God the glory that I survived because I shouldn't have survived the, the first surgery. I shouldn't mm. survive the arts. I shouldn't have survived the third surgery. Sure. This is amazing. And I thank God for it. Right. Right. But God still gets the glory if I would have died. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> because That's, yeah. Why? Because Jesus conquered death with the resurrection. <laughs> right. right. We have a, we have a very right. short-sighted understanding of what, how God mm. gets glory. Yeah. And so that that was pretty amazing. That time between the first surgery and the second surgery in 2006, uh, I was they put me on a medicine that dropped my heart rate down to around 50 beats per minute, my blood pressure way down, you know, I'd be sitting on the couch saying, okay, I think I'd want to get up and get myself a pop now. And a half hour later, I'd be like, I think I still, was I going to do that? Yeah, I think I should do that. <laughs> wow. Absolutely no energy. Yeah. And during that time, also my, my brain rewired and I mm-hmm. became very depressed and very anxious. And so I've been dealing with depression and anxiety ever since, because Mm -hmm. you just, I was worried every day. I'm going to die. I'm going to leave my kids. (laughs) And and the psychologist, the psychologist said, your brain changed Mm. (laughs) during that time. Mm. And so um, been on medicine since then to try to deal with that. And it's, it's helped a lot. Good. Good. So a few years later, just a few years from uh, ago, uh, my colon died. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I thought I had, you know, bad indigestion and, and, and constipation, but it was like, no, the EMS took me to the hospital and I was on antibiotics trying to get this colon to heal and it went and heal. And they, they finally mm. said, we're going to have to take it out. They took out my colon. Wow. And I was laying in the hospital after that, and it was like three o'clock in the morning. It's really quiet, you know, on the hospital floor. You hear beeping here and there. And and I just was reflecting on that. And I said, if I live in Jesus' time, I'd be dead three times over. Because when I was five years old, my kidney one of my kidneys failed. And you know. People just keeled over all the time back then. <laughs> so right. They had no idea. Okay, that kid, guy's kidney failed. No, he's, well, Jim died. Oh, I guess uh, he's dead. You know? <laughs> yeah. He's dead, Jim. Oh, well. <laughs> I said I wasn't going to do it, but I did. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, you know, you know, somebody has an aortic dissection. It's like, well, I guess he's a goner. What happened to Jeremiah? Well, he's, I don't know. He, felt, he killed over one day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Another person's colon fails. It's like, oh, what happened? What, you know, what happened to Agnes? Oh, I don't know. Her, her colon, colon failed. And I was just thinking, so I was laying there. I was just thinking about that. And I was thinking, mm. when Jesus came and he said, I have died and I rose again from the death, from death. I have conquered death. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 talks about Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's mm. your sting? Because Jesus has rose from the dead, and therefore you will someday raise from the dead. This message had to hit them upside the head like a two by four. Like, yeah, this is really good news because half my family has died of really strange ways. Yeah. <laughs> and our and our life 
expect you know our life expectancy is like 40 yeah mm-hmm. you know yeah and it just it, it just came it just made me realize it's like i'm now in my 50s and and i get an opportunity to continue to to work and to do god's work and 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 to do whatever i can to get other people to do god's work and it's not something i take lightly now yeah (laughs) i mean it's a big it's a you know god's purpose will go ahead when bob's gone Mm -hmm. but he allowed me to keep going and so it's like it makes my my legacy (laughs) my wanting a legacy that to you know how am i being generative i constantly ask myself Mm. that what what's what what is this how does this create generative uh, opportunities for the next generation Mm. Mm. because i really don't matter anymore Mm. (laughs) i could you know i could die tomorrow and and Mm. i don't matter but Mm -hmm. what does matter is the people that i can try to help understand life in jesus in such yeah. a way that they make a difference in other people's lives that's mm-hmm. all that matters yeah and if they be, if they remember me or not i that's, i most likely not mm-hmm. <laughs> but i mean maybe i didn't mean to go mm-hmm, so i'm fast <laughs> i didn't <laughs> <laughs> but it, but i know that you know at the end you know jesus may say to me well done He'll also say, you know, you screwed up a lot there, didn't you? I'm right. Like, I know. <laughs> but, but you know, I love you anyway. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> but, but he's gonna, you know, it's like it wasn't about you, was it, Bob? Mm. When you first went into the ministry, you thought it was about you, didn't you? Mm. Yes, I did. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be somebody. I mm-hmm. went into ministry so I could be the preacher, and everybody could look at me and, as the expert, mm. and uh yep you're you got me there jesus he's like it's not about you now is it i know it's not i know it's not it's about jesus that's beautiful and i i bob we're just so appreciative of your time today but also just who you are and uh what you mean to Kristen and i and the encouragement you are to us and what we learn from you um and i know that's true of many other people as well um, and I just, you're, you're someone that I respect and look up to brother, because, um, you're doing something that God has really started over the past few years with, with this pursuit thing that he's got us doing, Kristen and I, and all the other people involved with it is we want to build platforms for other people so that they can build platforms for other people. Uh, we we want to make disciples who will make disciples who will make disciples. And that is a beautiful legacy. And that's what it's all about. It's not about us. It's not about Bob or Kristen or Brian or fill in the blank with your name. It's about Jesus and making sure people have a chance to see Jesus. Um, and hopefully, if we do it effectively, they'll do it not just by what we say, but by how we live our whole lives. We'll, we'll be effective in in this whole life uh uh, discipleship so uh you can bob where can people find you online what are what are some places of course we'll put all this in our podcast notes too but where can where can people find you the website is re-integrate.org 
remember the dash, read-integrate.org. And from there, you could find my podcast. You can find uh, the blog. You can find online resources. You can find a way to get the uh, Reintegrate Your Vocation with God's Mission book, Bible study book. And through Reintegrate, if you purchase through Reintegrate, we give quantity discounts for groups that want to buy uh, groups, you know, quantities of Bible studies for their, for their small groups. And so these Bible studies are being used all around the country at churches. And in some churches, I see buying more and more and more because wow, they, they're, they're multiplying these groups. They, you know, they start out with one, then they have two, and then they have four. And mm. it's pretty cool. And they just keep them going. And, and that's cool. Uh, there's a business class at liberty university that is starting to use it is as part of their yeah. curriculum in their in their business class it's like you know what does it mean to wow. be in do your work for the glory of god mm. well let's reintegrate our vocation with our with god's mission it's oh, like, that's cool man so that it's it's being used in all sorts of ways and and so you can get that too so that's cool cool awesome well thank you again for being with us sir we really appreciate it and uh, if you'd like to uh, learn more about Pursuit Friends Church, I invite you to visit our Facebook page. You can just type in Pursuit Friends Church. That's the best place to get up to the minute updates on what's happening at Pursuit Friends Church. You can visit us if you'd like to donate or give to the ministry that God is doing here at Pursuit uh, at PursuitFriends.org slash give. Uh, and you can sow into that. We really appreciate you guys listening to this podcast and liking and sharing it. And most of all, what we would really love, what our heart is, is not that you just hear about what's happening here and in other ministries that, that we might highlight, like Bob's ministry. We would love to see you go out into all the world and make disciples and live out this gospel in effective ways to your neighbors, everyone around you. Um, and that would That's really what our heart is. Is, is that we can be a small part of equipping you and encouraging you that you can do it. You can do this. You can be a part of building God's kingdom. And he's gifted you uniquely to do that in your own context right where you are. So God bless you guys. Until next time, we'll see you again on the Pursuit Friends Church podcast. Is the hate and the shame and the hurt and the pain of a nation crying out for the sake of a future generation? I don't wanna give up now. Gonna do my best to shine my light somehow. Cause the pain is worth it, the goal is holy. Stand united in true devotion. Ain't no revolution gonna change the way we think. Ain't no politician gonna do a thing for you and me. Look around, all I hear are the boys and girls going back and forth Just like children fighting a war that will only end with more division I don't want to give up now, gonna do my best to shine my light somehow Cause the pain is growing, my heart is heavy We better know when to throw in the towel Ain't no revolution gonna change the way we think Ain't no politician gonna do a thing for you and me we need hope, we need help from God above We need grace to win the day We need light to shine the way We need peace, we need
need joy. We need God to give us ease. We need resurrection power. We need Jesus in this hour. I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. When my knees hit the ground and I pray for the day when we all get along, we belong to the family. Living in a world with it is the same. We need a remedy. I don't wanna give up now. Gonna do my best to shine my light somehow. Cause the night is dark and this life is hard. I have a God who is stronger than me. Ain't no revolution gonna change the way we think. Politician gonna do a thing for you and me. We need love, we need hope, we need help from God above. We need grace to win the day, we need light to shine the way. We need peace, we need joy, only God can give us these. We need resurrection power, we need Jesus. This is for the Christians, everybody listen, no one's just position or who you didn't vote for or who you're gonna vote for what people need to know is what jesus died for he bled for them he died for them the bible even says that jesus cried for them i wonder if our love is anything like this i wonder if the world can even see in us the hope of eternity the love and the joy that is deep in us needs to be seen in us so they can really see there's something different a reason to investigate the claims we make so let the light of jesus start to resonate let them see the reason why we gravitate towards the only God who's really got the power to save and the power to heal. The hope of salvation has got to be real. It's got to be lived out no matter how we feel, but especially in how we live, how we love. The gospel is most powerful when it's lived. We need love. We need hope. We need help from God above. We need grace to day we need light to shine the way we need peace we need joy only god can give us these we need resurrection power we need jesus in this hour we need resurrection power we need jesus in this hour